It is 9.46 p.m. Two and two to Harvey Keene. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung on and missed a perfect game. Of course, for the upstart 49ers, they're six yards away from Pontiac. Third and three. We'll see a pickup sometime on the right side, possibly. Montana looking, looking, throwing in the end zone. Three with Dave Damashek. Yeah, hi and hello, and welcome to Minus Three. As always, joined by Eddie Spaghetti there behind the glass. Make sure you're tracking down Eddie Spaghetti with Jen Piacenti on Waiver Wire. If you're listening to us on Thursday, Waiver Wired premieres this season at 4 p.m. Pacific time on Thursday, right in front of the kickoff of the Hall of Fame game. And also make sure you go back and listen to the Minus 3 from earlier this week, a dandy one if there ever has been a good episode to sample what we do here on Minus 3. Go listen to that one. Chris Long, great stuff on Tom Brady, his pal, Carson Wentz, Lamar Jackson, Game of Life stuff, music, and more. We kibitzed about great times there. And speaking of great times, I'm sure we're about to have some with our main man, Seated there, chopping at the bit to talk about Bill Russell and maybe some remnants of the baseball season, pro football upcoming. But you heard the voice of Vince Scully there. How are you, Hench? What's uh, first of all? Uh, how, how are you doing before we jump in on Vince? Uh, doing great, living the dream as always. Just you know, gotta pinch myself um, and then remind the three heiresses that I live with that this is a good life. We should be. Mm happy all the time. Um, but just a, an insane week of sports here in the, in the kind of in the doldrums a little bit, but like, you know, Bill Russell and Vince Scully, I think had as close to perfect careers as you can have. Right. I mean, these two guys, like we have a lot of fun on this podcast, uh, talking about the two Wayne Gretzky careers, right. The career with, with Messier and then the dubious career, post Messier with, with all the minuses, uh, you know, but you look at Bill Russell's career and Vince Scully's career and you're like, I, how could you have done better? What, where, what, you know, like would Russell have had to run the table and win a championship every year, you know, uh, 11 out of 13 to two college championships and the Olympic gold medal. And it's funny, you know, the, the, the story's always been, he went 21 and 0, in elimination games, you know, winner take all games. And then I saw this little argument where it was like, it's actually 22 and 0 because game five against the Cincinnati Royals in 66 was also a winner take all against Oscar Robertson. And I go into this wormhole and there's a YouTube video of like a four is of like the entire game. I'm, I'm watching a 1966 basketball playoff game. And of course, Russell's completely dominating. He's covering Jerry Lucas then he's covering Oscar Robertson. Then he's covering Wayne Embry. Then he's covering Happy Harrison. And it's like, he's just dumb. Nobody can score on him. He's blocking shots. He finishes 16, 31, and 11 on the stats they keep. But they don't keep block shots. But from the highlights, you're like, I think this was an elimination game quadruple double, which he probably had a ton of if they had kept block shots. So anyway, Russell, obviously the giant of giants, at, at his job, 
And then just, you know, everyone I know has been and forwarded. testament to he and Scully of doing it with one one team. I, you know, uh, something we talk about a ton here. It's not to say people didn't enjoy the Michael Jordan documentary a year or two ago. How, when was that with COVID? I can't keep yeah, it straight. The COVID, by the way, the COVID is a side note. I ain't been right since I got it three weeks ago. I went I went to Pittsburgh for a week and the whole, my memories of Pittsburgh are hazy. I was kind of like dead man walking for that stretch. Bad turn of phrase, given what we're talking about otherwise. But um, the Dare Jeter documentary is special, maybe not to the world at large, but the Yankees fans and Vince Scully doing it for the Dodgers. Although I do find myself slightly resentful uh, of LA Dodgers fans trying to hold tight Vin as their guy, and he obviously is. But man, we grew up hench listening to Vin and Joe Garagiola on the game of the week, and then I'll, also you would catch him on the radio or TV calling pro football games as well. He's he's the best to ever do it. It's so. I mean, uh, you know, we were we talk about Brady is creating this weird gap. Um, greatest of all time, you know, he's, he's pulling away obviously, cause he'll just never stop playing apparently. Um, but then Vin, like what's the gulf between Vin and all the other guys? Like it's, well, so I, 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 the only, the only pushback I'd give you is as a national voice is Al Michaels. I can't, I don't, I don't think there's really, I know people will hold up Pat Summerall. He was great. And he also did the masters and golf and, and that stuff too. I don't know if he ever did anything else. Keith Jackson is on the short list. I think Joe Buck and Jack Buck, um, both deserve shout outs in the conversation. As you know, well. obviously definitely I, baseball Vin's number one. I, I love, I love Al Michaels and, you know, I mean, all, you know, all the guys you mentioned, all the guys we grew up with. Um, but, I don't think, you know, in, in this, in the, the week of homage, like the, the amount of clips and memories, like you cannot believe how many things Vin Scully called uh, right. to your point. And then just also people posting like random midsummer regular season games where you're like, did you ever hear this story? Like, have you like he's just riffing because because that's what you do every night for a, a few hours. And just this storyteller. I think you're like, is he reading that? Is this from memory? Like, how is he doing it? And then he's like ball two in the dirt and back to the story. Like, just I mean, you know, obviously as a neutral, you know, we're we're we have no skin in the game. That's not our guy. Just like just the best. So anyway, so so Bill Russell and Vin Scully creating their their own Mount Olympus in their in their separate sports, but then you know in the same week that this Deshaun Watson stuff comes out, and it's a crazy juxtaposition, um, you know, between the you know whatever the right way to do it, and then this like I don't know I, I don't want to sound like the old man like the world's gone to hell in a handbasket, which obviously it has, but like I you guys are gonna have to explain to me the Sue Robinson of it all, because I'm like, what they asked Sue Robinson to do it. But if she didn't get it right, they were just going to go F it and do it themselves. Like, I don't really understand it. I know. And a lot of people are saying that the NFL kind of knew that it would be favorable towards the player. And then that would allow the room for them to push back, which is bizarre given that for 20 years, Goodell has had uneven, um, punishments 
of various players and be, you know, Ray Rice, not harsh enough. That guy, too harsh. The back and forth of all that. So now Sue Robinson is put into that spot because of all of that. And now it still winds up with Goodell having to swoop in, but he's he's handing it off to another third party, which is bizarre. I want to talk about that because I also want to talk, you talk about old men. Tom Brady ain't clean either, but let's, let's continue a quick homage here. Um, he is, if, of you're, all, if you're talking about nightshades, he's clean, man. This guy does not, he does not juice. Um, that, that much, that much is clear. Yes, we, we are beyond, he proves it. And so does Daniel Vogelbach. They prove that uh, we are past the steroid age and before the steroid age. And I, uh, on that aforementioned trip to Pittsburgh, I found some old baseball cards and I brought them back. Look at this guy, Bob Stanley. Oh I God. contend Bob Stanley, the former relief pitcher, the guy who taught, you know, Vin Scully was the Zelig of American sport, really. I mean, he's there for Hank Aaron's home run. He's a part of the Dodgers in a seminal move. Maybe this side of Jackie Robinson, the second most significant thing to happen in American sports in the 20th century was the Dodgers and then the Giants the year moving across the country. So they make it not a regional sport. They make it fully a, uh, a, a you know, a coast-to-coast event Major League Baseball does. Um, it feels to me like, and so he's, he's there for Robin, he's there for the catch, of the, the launch of that um, that dynasty in pro football as, as the Cowboys give way to the 49ers as the juggernaut of the NFC. Um, and then, you know, he, 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 you know, he's a part of Jackie Robinson and all of that. Bob Stanley, on the other hand, was there for all the worst moments of the Boston Red Sox. It feels like if if you were if you're an a if you're a fan of Hench's age, Bob Stanley was there and prominent in all of the most heartbreaking. Uh, they but who was I, I? It's funny because the Red Sox, for one of these iconic sports brands, I can't summon who their play-by-play guy was. And I was saying it on extra points to cousin Sal and to Marty Weiss and the gang. Um on Thursday, it feels to me like the radio play-by-play guy, and it matters for every sport, you know, and I, I, I treasure the guys that have been in my years from my whole life, Bill Hillgrove in Pittsburgh calling pit games and, and Steeler games for at least the last 20, 25 years at minimum, and Mike Lang calling hockey games, but baseball is every day and there's nothing else in the way. And so I think a, a lot of that and the pacing of it and the pastoral tone of baseball and then the voice, the double down on that, really, you have a weird relationship with these play-by-play guys. Who was the Red Sox guy? I don't know who. Well, Ned, Ned Martin and Bob Montgomery were, you know, the voices that I, I remember. Joe Castiglione, who I, still doing it on radio. Um, the funny thing about that, as, as the Red Sox are just, you know, the way teams end up in this purgatory where you're like, um, uh, it's a teardown, but you're a big market team. What is a what does a fire sale look like when you're supposed to compete every year? Just caught in that purgatory, bad contracts. The Chris Sale extension was terrible at the time. You're just eating this, you're eating shit. You're getting 30 cents on the dollar for every transaction. Teams know you're fucked. You're just, it's just a nightmare. Every, every little nickel and dime, small media, media move that, that Heim Bloom made sucked. He fucked it up. Every single thing, like 
yeah, I guess that raise thing doesn't always work when you get Rich Hill to pitch for your team for free. Like he sucks. He's 42 and he throws 75 miles an hour. Like everything he did fucking blows. So I'm like, I'm bummed. I'm, I'm, I, I'm just like, well, I can't, there's nothing to follow. There's nothing to follow, but the teardown and fucking years of like, how do you get out from under this? Will they even re-sign Devers so they can pay him, you know, $400 million to, to win 75 games a year in his prime? Like just a fucking mess. Uh, now that said, Don Orsillo was a great play-by-play man for the Boston Red Sox. You're like, oh, oh this guy's young. He's awesome. And uh, we got we got our next 35 years. We're just set. We're set. We don't have to worry. This is a position on the team we don't have to worry about. Don Orsillo is fucking awesome. But the Red Sox brass, like, and I know John Henry's a weirdo, and I I don't get a lot of it, but, like, you fucked up the play-by-play man? How did you lose, like, how did you lose the great play-by-play guy who has now obviously had a very soft landing in San Diego for the Padres slash doing national games because he's awesome, incredible voice, great calls a great game. Um, so now I'm like, oh, well, I'm going to be looking for a team, you know, not like permanently. Obviously, I'm, I'm not a Browns fan. I'm not going to just, you know, forsake the Red Sox, but they're not going to be interesting for a while. Meanwhile, down the road here in San Diego, we got our play-by-play guy who's going to be- upside-down world, right? You're the big market team. The Padres are the guys who won the Juan Soto sweepstakes? Uh, uh, the Padres, I mean, it's not even close, the deadline. Like, so so I'm going to, you know, I'm following my play-by-play guy. And by the way, if you listen to Orsillo's calls, like, you know, just a pitcher, I think, hit a grand slam for them a couple of years ago. You know, obviously Drury with the Grand Slam right after me. Like his calls are iconic already. Like he's he's amazing. Anyway, so um, but that and I'll throw that out here. You know, obviously Vegas can't overreact because the Padres are still going to have to play that extra series. So that number reflects they have an act. You know, they they have to play the wild card series, but they're still they're plus a thousand. So they're 10 to 1 to win the World Series. And you and you look at the other the other prices you'll get certainly on the division winners, you know, plus 300, plus 350, plus 430. And I don't think people fully cuz the Soto thing so eclipsed the baseball universe that I don't think people have fully understood everything the Padres pulled off. There's never been a deadline like this. They acquire Soto, Josh Bell, and Drury. And by the way, I thought Drury was a bum. So I thought that was really like, and then when he hits the grand slam, I go, that's his 21st home run of the season. So then I go to the OPS rankings. Soto, Bell, and Drury, all top 10 in OPS this year. Machado already top 10 in OPS. So now you've got four of the top 10 in OPS in your new lineup. While you wait for the guy who led the league in home runs and had a 975 OPS last year in Fernando Tatis Jr. So now your lineup is so insanely deep. Um, and, and when you look at the Dodgers, you're like, well, who's going to be able to compete? Like 
The Dodgers got the best player on the Red Sox. The Dodgers got the best player from the Braves. The Dodgers got the MVP candidate, the other MVP candidate from the Nationals. The Dodgers have just acquired everybody's best player. You'll never be able to compete. Padres lineup's better. It's better. And so then you go, so so now you shift. And by the way, when, when Cronworth and Voigt uh, and Profar are seven, eight, nine in your lineup. Well, now that's a murderer's row that, that really is a better lineup than the Dodgers. Hmm. So you go, well, what about the mound? Darvish and Musgrove are both top seven in whip. And then the big question becomes uh, Blake Snell. Well, I mean, we've all seen it, right? A team says we're going for it. Everybody gets instantly better. Everybody. So, so Wednesday night, Blake Snell looked like 2020 Dodgers can't touch him, but Kevin Cash is going to take him out of the World Series game. He looked like that Blake Snell smoking the Rockies, nine Ks, no walks and six innings. So if you get that Blake Snell with Darvish and Musgrove and that lineup, you're like, well, what about the back end? What about the back end? They got they got Josh Hader. They gave up. They gave up a problem for a solution, by the way. I'm you're the Brewers, Brewers did that. You're I'm, a I'm Brewers fan, and your team is rebuilding in first place. It's so sad. Like it's like they're like, well, we can downgrade a closer, but get a couple prospects. You're like, downgrade a closer. You're in first place. What What are you doing? What are you doing? So anyway, I think the, the highlight Pirates, the highlight for the Pirates amidst all this is you drop former Pirates names sprinkled on contending teams was the teenage kid who I've uh, contacted and kibitzed with a little bit, um, the hero on the banks of the Three Rivers, who went up to nutting the Pirates owner and uh, about to take a picture and then uh, pulled open his T-shirt, said, sell the team. If you haven't seen the video, it's hysterical. Nutting looks at it and maybe kind of sees it upside down or whatever, so he doesn't kind of, he's like, there it is, and then he reacts, and he's wearing, the, the kid is wearing a sell the team T-shirt. That's about all I have to uh, hang my head on. But the good news is you have almost made baseball compelling for me down the home stretch here, Hench, but I've already turned the page. So joke's on you. I'm on the football, bub. For those of you who would not like to root for the evil empire, the Yankees, or the other evil empire, the Astros, or the less evil, but still evil empire, uh, uh, Dodgers, like these teams are not, you know, if you're a neutral, those teams are not fun to root for. No. Padres, fun to root for, uh, a, a lineup of future Hall of Famers, and a Hall of Fame broadcaster calling it all. So I say join me on the Padres bandwagon, both as fans and uh, financially, because I think 10 to 1 for that team to win the World Series is, is a mm, that is a nice price. I, I, Liz, I, I'm a little bit spooked of my Metropolitan's announcement a week ago to bet them because there's uh, some nice value there on on that team that's going to run the pitchers that they have in their nice lineup out there. As long as they can hold off the Braves, I still like that pick. But I was a little spooked when the Metropolitan's lineup went right back. They reverted to form with the Grom on the hump. Like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. We, did you forget? We yeah. don't score runs when you yeah. pitch, pal. So that, One earned, I'm a little oh, bit you nervous gave, about you that. You did give up an earned run? Uh, so, well, we're sorry. That's that's too much. That's too much. <laughs> Welcome back. Welcome Spaghetti, back. did you, is, are, are we, is it old Manning cast that we care or I, I, I care? I mean, I remember being 
at the ocean one summer we drove out to the uh, to the and, and the pirates were still semi relevant at that point me and the old man KDKA tw- um uh, 1020 KDKA the first radio station in the history of people you could it was such a strong signal 50,000 watt station you could if you really struggled and, and worked at it you could tune it in on a summer's night and i remember doing that from the beach uh, several states away and hearing the voice of Lanny for Terry, then the play-by-play man of the, uh, of the pirates. Are you precious about play-by-play guys? I know like football. Now they make, you know, whatever they make $25 million, Joe Buck and all those guys. I'm not the, the baseball radio play-by-play guy. Or is that uh, a bygone era? No, for me personally, I definitely care. I mean, I'm, I'm lucky enough. I know people like to make fun of, uh, John Sterling and Susan Wallman, but I've been listening to them since, you know, I was a, a child, so I'm used to that. And I think my Yankees uh, friends, fans would agree with that as well. They're just a special tandem. It's almost like a, like, like the cuteness factor of it, of like how silly sometimes John can get. I know he's going to retire soon. It's going to be sad. Um, and even for other sports, too, having, I mean, I'm lucky to have like a guy like Walt Clyde Frazier do Knicks games, and I'm lucky to have Sam Rosen and Joe McGletty, and Joe does a lot of national stuff for the league, too. So having them in, in hockey is, is awesome. Uh, I mean, even before when Hen just talking about Don Arcillo, I was in college at BU when Don Arcillo would do games with Jerry Remy. I watched a ton of Sox teams. I love them as a deal. I mean, Boston uh, having like Jack Edwards do Bruins games, like the biggest homer of all time, but it's so fun listening to him. Tommy Heinsohn, a legend for the Celtics, might have watched those games. Like, I do appreciate the uh, the play-by-play and the and the, the, the announcing team uh, in sports, but I do kind of agree that it is going to like a, a, a dying breed sort of thing, especially with games now being on these streaming services and there's different teams, but uh, I do like the, um, the, the uniqueness of, of each city's uh, and each team's uh, duo they have there. Well, the one thing you should definitely be is a homer. I don't understand what got into your head if you're the local guy that you aren't rooting for that team. Who who decided that objectivity is the goal? Who do you think you're talking it. to other than fans? I love it when the homerism bleeds into like criticism, like where they're pissed. Like they're yes. like they're speaking for us, where they're like, it's not just rah rah. It's like, what the fuck are you doing? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And that's when the guys get in trouble. You know, then they get called down yes. like, hey, 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 you can't put down the product. And, you know, Dennis Eckersley is like, well, do something about the product. These guys blow. I, I, I'm a Hall of Famer. What am I supposed to pretend like this is good pitching? How should I call this game? Uh, very, very noteworthy that. I, lo- I mean, the people who don't do that, you know, as I say, Mike Lang calling the Penguins games. I mean, it was just. It was a condition that you accepted early on, so maybe that's all I knew growing up. But Mike, like, like, hey, shoots and scores, great balls of fire versus score. You know, well, that, that, I mean, literally, that was it. Barely, barely uttering a syllable to let you know that the other team had scored. Well, like, well let me jump in quick. I don't. I'm not, I wasn't saying it's bad to be a homer, but I, my point no, is, I know and, you and, and hence, you could. I mean, there's probably like Jack Edwards. Uh, doing a Bruins game versus the Canadians is probably the single most entertaining, you know, sports hour you'll get from any any commentator in in the entire nation. Like that is a special treat because of his hatred, his pure hatred towards the team. Like that is like a, it's a classic listen to if you're if you're listening to that game. Um, so we got to tell Spaghetti the Mike Lang story because uh, it's this is actually good old Manning cast. So. Shaq and I met on a sports trivia TV show. Like that's where this that's where this love affair began. And uh, and so we wrote, 
you know, we wrote sports trivia questions. What a way to make a living. And uh, I guess we had a, a, an announcer category and I would assume Mike Lang was a was one of the uh, lower lower jeopardy uh, questions in terms of value and difficulty. But I, I, I get correct me if I mess the story up, Sheck. But so the question is like uh, this iconic announcer's catchphrase is uh, he beat him like a rented mule. Correct. Right. That's the, correct. the question is something like that. Right. He beat him. He beat the goalie like a rented mule. So, of course, we're on television and we have a big, you know, corporate uh, fucking uh, do nothing a sphere overseeing us. And so every sports trivia question had to go to standards and practices. And then, like, because I was the head writer, I would get CC. I would get I'm. I'm in the fucking executive infrastructure with all the emails. So this Mike Lang question, beat him, beat him like a rented mule, it creates 150 interdepartmental emails about like, are any animals going to be harmed during this question? When this question is asked, is there going to be video of a mule being, being, being hurt? Like it just went back and forth. And like I'm trying to do my job, but I've got all these emails about the the Mike Lang animal abuse, and you know the anti vivisectionists, and like are they testing um, cosmetics on any of the what the fuck is going on? Like it's like a pure bureaucracy, everybody covering their ass, and then um, I just send an email reply all stop bothering me with this nonsense. I just send it to everybody. And then and then it's like, oh, my God, now we have a new fucking cause, which is like we've got a bad apple on the inside. This fucking hench guy has to be reeled in like and then I just get a series of like now it's not emails. Now these are phone calls. Do you know who is on that email? Do you know who you CC? Like, does anyone not want to admit that it was fucking nonsense? First of all, you're paying me to do my job. Shouldn't you Shouldn't you want me to go do my job instead of uh, uh, saying a hundred times, we're not going to show Mike Lang executing a mule on this fucking sports trivia question? Anyway, I can't. I, I wonder can't. what, did you ever get one, a follow-up for buy Sam a drink and get his dog one too? Wait, you're, you're making a canine drink booze? That's that's that, that's pet abuse. And then scratch my back with a hacksaws advocating for murder. And then, of course, to bring it full circle, one of his goal calls, Mike Lang's goal calls was, oh, Eddie Spaghetti. That's where we came down. But Eddie, because we could Eddie for for a new listener, Eddie Spaghetti's real name is, of course, Eddie Murphy. And when I met him, I said, well, that won't do. I'm not going to have to explain every show yeah. that the new producer's name is Eddie Murphy and have to make some lame joke about like, but it's not that Eddie Murphy. And so that's how he wound up being Eddie Spaghetti on that one. All right. Listen, um, I want to talk about Brady. I want to talk about Deshaun Watson. I want to talk about all of it. To ease us into those conversations, I'm going to give you some props, bets, and some team results for you. And uh, this one has to do with Deshaun Watson to begin with. I told you in our little- This will tee up the Deshaun of it all. Um, That's right. For all the nonsense that got flagged on our little gentle sports trivia show, they didn't notice- that we we titled the category about Dodgers rookies of the year, Dodgers hand jobs to rookies. 
That was super clever. That was super clever in the 90s. Trust us. Dodgers hand jobs to rookies. We're like, we got hand jobs on the big board. Like we won. Where's a big victory for, for these, these, these dummies. Like, and then, and then Phil Mushnick uh, in his review of how, how, how sordid our sports trivia show was, was like, like he bleeped it. Like he was like, I can't even say, I can't say what this column is. Hand jobs. Anyway, that, that teeing you up for, for Deshaun's uh, job. All right. I got bad news. I already told you, I, I have a very difficult time being negative at this point on the sports calendar about pro football teams. I said it before. I'm saying it again. Now I can talk myself into the Jaguars. I can talk myself into the Houston Texans being at least better than people anticipate them being. I can talk myself into every team. I, however, have already announced that the Texans might have a little bit of a a boost to what you saw last year. Davis Mills may prove to be the real deal. It doesn't end in a playoff spot, not in the rugged AFC of 2022. So no playoffs for you. Sorry, Seattle Seahawks. I don't know if you heard Russell Wilson is gone. Pete Carroll's now got the COVID. Um, that all amounts to no playoffs for you. These all add up to a great parlay when I complete the deal. I'm ready to announce the third team. Bad news for you. You got some bad news earlier in the week, presumably. We'll see where it lands, Cleveland Browns. More bad news for you. No playoffs for you. Even with Deshaun Watson, if he were to miss just six games, and I know their schedule is light the first six, you still have the Ravens who are legit and I think might be the best team in the AFC. They may not have the best record, but I think they're they're in contention at this point for me to, to be a real scary team. By the end of I I remain skeptical of them in January, but through the 17 game regular season, I think they're going to be a, they're going to be real tough this year. And the Bengals, what's going to happen to them? And at minimum, the Steelers' defense should be stout and a difficult. And Steelers tend to handle the Browns, so Browns ain't making the playoffs. I'm sorry about that. Now, quickly, let me give you a few player props. Right, hold on, okay, 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 real quick ahead. though. Okay, so I don't disagree with any of that. I don't know who would. Um, I actually think that the Texans position groups are so wretched. Um, I I could see them going under four and a half. I don't so hmm. I don't think I don't think playoff is a conversation. But if you go no playoffs for Texans, Seahawks, and Browns, does that parlay, what is that, does that net you even? That's why I say we gotta wait till I get the full list and then you parlay it all. And if it hits, then it'll be real juicy okay. as it stands. But right. I, you know, it's you know where we, you're agreeing where you wanna you wanna get uh juice that number a little bit. You definitely do. Definitely no playoffs, do. no playoffs for the Chiefs. It all right, is we'll, gonna we, we'll get ugly in number. a minute here. The thir- two of the 32 assumed starters a, a couple of months ago, one appears to be heading for not playing at all this year. The other one's a 45-year-old man. A.J. Dillon. I say Sal is 100% right about, and, and I know you're on board with this too, and I am intellectually, but, my, but I, I, you know, I'm an empath, and I can't bring myself to be negative like you guys are. Sal says, um, you know, I haven't witnessed him do this at a craps table in Vegas or otherwise, but he says he will bet a little something on the don't pass line at the dice table, which makes you 
a creep. Don't don't walk up and spoil people's fun. Be on board or or, or, don't, or play a different uh, uh, play a different game. Bet in the don't pass line. But he's right about pro football players. If you bet everybody's season total, all the skill position, rush yards go under on everything. Pass yards go under receiving. And you can't possibly you lose. Can't you can't lose. You really can't. If you bet them all. The numbers are based on like full health and half of them go down by October. It is. It feels like free money. I mean, last year was crazy with McCaffrey and Barkley. Mm-hmm. I mean, just every week, Derrick Henry, like they just went, they just kept going down. Um, you know, I was thinking of our, our, our fearless beloved leader, Sal, and uh, obviously um, the, the, the scumbags on the other side of the ideological divide who, who had to be pulled kicking and screaming to give our, our brave veterans some health care. Uh, I was thinking there should be some fun set up for civilians who have spent 25 years watching football in the proximity of Sal's asshole. We've hmm. suffered. I mean, you're attributing it to COVID. It's a bird you're, pit. You're, you're attributing your your memory fog and your wobbly. I wish someone would light a match and create a burn pit to offset the the skunk of his. Uh, uh, Yes. Right. A burn pit, a fucking pleasant improvement over being anywhere near Sal for, for six and a half hours on a Sunday. Uh, But he's right about betting the under on, on all those running back totals for Christ's sake. It's like you're, I mean, that's why fantasy football is kind of a bummer. You're like, how much do I spend on this running back that'll probably get hurt? And then, well, let, let me get in. Let me give you some right here. I can't help it. Maybe these are the exceptions that prove the rule. Maybe Dave's just a, a pie-eyed optimist. Either way, AJ Dillon over 750 and a half rush yards. He already did that a year ago. Um, I think, wait, does memory, I, I looked this all up and uh, confirmed it all. AJ Dillon did this a year ago. He feels like he's tracking towards not, you know, 50-50 split with Aaron Jones, but I feel like things are moving in the right direction at the position. And also, you know, it stands to reason that the defense for Green Bay looks like, you know, a unit of great strength, more so even than last year. And... um, Aaron Rodgers, one year older for what it's worth, but no Devontae Adams. And so some questions in the passing game. This all leads to me, uh, leads me to believe that they're going to turn around and hand it off more. And so A.J. Dillon should have a big third year there. Rashad Bateman, everybody's talking about Lamar Jackson, and he only has one wide receiver to go along with Mark Andrews. High-end option there in Rashad Bateman, banged up in his rookie season. Again, this requires some optimism that he'll avoid injury this year. But if he does... Over 825 and a half. He should breeze past that. And, you know, he got um, broadly close to that despite all the injuries in his rookie season. I think he pops this year when you know Lamar Jackson is probably going to be slinging it a little bit more. And as far as that goes, a number that is almost hard to believe, except for the you're basically betting on Lamar Jackson having another injury, is his touchdown pass total this year. L Jack's 24 and a half. Doesn't that feel light to you? 
Doesn't that feel low? He did it in the two prior seasons before last year's injury, and he still got close to it in 2021. I think he blows past that 24 and a half, and so does Matt Ryan at the exact same number, 24 and a half. People are sleeping on the Colts in general. I I know people are kind of hip on them, but the Titans are in the way. And like I say, the Jags are getting some some heat, you know, too much heat for my for my taste. I think Matt Ryan has a nice year. 24 and a half. Come on, everybody. In, in uh, the, an upgraded situation for the old man, even at 40, I like him. That leads me to tell you that the Colts over 10 and a half juiced up to plus 115 is nice. And I mentioned the Ravens. I like that team a lot. If you juice that one up, alternate win total on the season, 11 and a half, that gets, uh, that gets you, at pl- you can get that at plus 170. There you go, Hench. How say you? Well, I, I tell you, um, the Dylan thing is interesting because it kind of flies in the face of what we generally instruct on running backs, right. except that he does seem like the kind of horse, the way, the, the, the way he runs and given his size it seems like he can get 175 carries, which is all all he would need to to blow by that number. Um, because you know I I kind of agree with all your logic there. I love the Lamar Jackson thing specifically because, you know, the way the the running quarterbacks right every one of them they run less they run less like you just you know it, it, it's like you're you're just gonna you're gonna burn out. You're going to burn your guy out. You're going to ruin your team's chances of winning. So it's like uh, first and goal at the two, maybe it's Mark Andrews and and not the, the, the tuck it, tuck it and run and try to get to the pylon and take a beating. So 24 and a half does seem low for, for LJ. Um, I'm a little conflicted on the Colts, not the win total, which I agree with, but you know, I, I don't know. I don't know how much Matty Ice has has left in the tank, and I I do think that that could be be a, a lot of, a lot of uh, well, you know what? The, you know, my my pushback on that is kind of what we've talked about. Our pal Maurice Jones Drew always points out: How did Frank Gore? How is he relevant so deep into his career when most running backs wear out? It's because he was never based around speed. Chris Johnson from the Titans was all about speed. Once he lost just a tick once he lost one mile per hour then he became normal his his greatest superpower was gone like Tom Brady I'm not saying Matt Ryan is Tom Brady but it was never predicated on physical skills you know that that, that would diminish over time like it did for Roethlisberger or Cam Newton or, or someone like that um so I think Matt Ryan is well what, what, what's what's he gonna lose what, what, what's gone from Matt Ryan's game at the age of 40 that he didn't have at 35 all right. Well, I, just, Not much. I, like, I like Lamar Jackson more. Hey, let's work in a quick break here. Now, Tom Brady, since he's he just celebrated his 45th birthday, you know, you want to get uh, betting against Tom Brady is a bad idea. I get it. But the injuries on the interior of the offensive line, people have been talking about this for a decade now with Brady. He, like most human beings, doesn't like inside pressure. If you're rushing him in his face, he really lacks the ability to run away from it. He's great at that subtle slide up in the pocket, but when it's right in his face, that's harder to do. You can do that uh, against edge rushers. It's not as simple to do when the, when the pressure is directly in your face like that. Um, but 
you know, and, and injuries to receivers and all that. All that aside, this crap with him, again, with the Miami Dolphins, and it's been going on for three years now, so 2019. Aren't you, as a Patriots fan, you're going to let him off the hook before you even open your mouth? You're not going to care. Eh, he won enough for me. I don't care. This guy, I, I, I laid out a theory. Um, I, I came up with a theory earlier today, and I'm going to give it to you. Pretentious Dave's literary reference or li li literary analogy of the day. Tom Brady is Humbert Humbert from Lolita. He's oh, too God. handsome and charming for us to take him to task. We feel like, well, he can't be a creep, right? Look at him. He's smooth and he's charming and he's and, and all of that. And this in the same way, he Humbert Humbert gets away with the worst crimes. I'm not saying Tom Brady is... Uh, a felon by the U.S. criminal code, but he's a pigskin felon. This creep is always cheating. Comes into the league cheating, benefiting from Spygate. He doesn't get that first Lombardi without Spygate. And so it goes on and on video. They deflated footballs. And okay, that wasn't that big a deal, but that was just Commissioner Goodell getting him for not taking him to task the first time around. Then, then, the the uh, this uh, he's trying to he's trying to having Don Yee contact a division foe. I won't call him a rival because the Patriots didn't really have a rival because they dominated. But then again, maybe that's because Belichick was cheating the whole time. Either way, and by the way, you can't say like, oh, that's just you hate us because you ain't us. No, no, this is a pattern of behavior that has endured as long as Tom Brady has been in the NFL. There are these scale. How many are we supposed to look past and be like, ah, come on, leave poor Tom alone. He's bad. He's a bad guy. He, I mean, I mean, he's not a bad human being. He is one of those people who like me, when I used to play monopoly with my sisters, I would always, cause they wouldn't notice they weren't paying attention. And so I would take advantage. I would take some of those dollars and I'd slip them under the game board. And then I'd break them out at the appropriate time. Tom Brady doesn't, go up to the line to see what he can get. He blatantly has crossed it any number of times. And then like, what, what's the still, what's the problem? Everybody, this is scumbag behavior. The Don Yee is negotiating with the dolphins while he's on the base. And then he's calling Sean Payton and like, Hey, can we get a super team together down in South beach coach? It's all crazy. Eh, go ahead. Hench. I, I, I'm curious if you agree, disagree with any of what I just said. Well, you know, I don't know how old the girl in the bathroom was uh, with your beloved QB, so I won't I won't fucking use the Lolita comparison. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, um, well, well, uh, 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 why, why would you do that? See, look who's what about now? You're the you're the guy who's like it's all you know, it's all about player empowerment. Like, fuck these owners. The players have to have more power. I'll tell you uh, the literary analogy I would use with Tom Brady. He's Ahab. Only he fucking kills Moby Dick and then he kills six of Moby Dick's brothers and he's looking for the next conquest because he's an obsessed madman who needs to win. And this is the crazy thing when you talk about the billionaires and the millionaires, right? And every week we learn another story about these fucking billionaires, what fucking scumbags they all are and how Goodell chooses like which ones he's going to protect and which ones he's going to like, it's so fucking corrupt and disgusting. So it's like, you know, we hear like LeBron James is going to get a team, you know, and Michael Jordan has a team and it's like, that's good. That's good. I that agree with he, all that. Right. So it's like, so, so Brady's trying to build his port post football portfolio and obviously the un unathletic monsters who rule the world 
don't want fucking the golden boy in that club. Cause then they have nothing by the way. If you're just a fucking fat fossil fuel piece of shit billionaire and it's like, but Brady and LeBron own teams, what do you got? You got nothing but your fucking super yacht. So I, I, I know Brady is always looking for the next challenge because he's fucking disposed of your Steelers so many times. He had to hey, go to looking another- for the next challenge. He was on the Patriots while he was doing it. How can't that? I mean, how how warped is your brain? How, how Stockholm syndrome that, that you this is allowable for you, a Patriots fan? He's talking to the Dolphins while the season's going on. Well, he's merely I mean, maybe when you've when you've conquered all foes, you realize there's only one team left to beat. The the guys I'm staying <laughs> in the locker room with. I mean, listen, when what now, what he benefits from is Deshaun Watson, who's an actual creep. So that good uh, so that's what a lot gives Brady some wiggle yes. room this yes. week. Right, right. Uh Emptying footballs, four games, emptying your actual balls on on non-consenting humans, six games. It's fucking insane. As I said, deflated balls, four games, inflated balls uh, of Deshaun Uh, Watson, six games. But it's going to be more. I I mean, I'm I'm glad in, in 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 a quick time you you've seemed to have come around to maybe maybe Brady's more like Claire Quilty than Humbert Humbert. I don't know. I haven't read, I haven't read the book since college, but like, so um, what happens to what happens to Quilty? Well, Quilty's played by <laughs> Peter Sellers, I think, in the movie. In the movie, they can't. That is one of those books that, for what I think they've made three movies of it, and they can't get it right. It's like Gatsby. I don't know why. Of course, you it, can't get it right. It's fucking beyond creepy. Like you can't. You know, it's 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 imagine Tom going Brady to, should play Humbert. Humbert is the point because he's charming and he's handsome, he's, and yeah, and it all great. hinges on yeah. his his hideous crimes and his telling of the tale of his love for Lolita hinges on the fact that you don't take him to task because he's the one telling the story and he's charming and funny and you're like ah maybe this Lolita maybe you are doing something good but it's that Quilty Claire Quilty's the real creep here get him get him Humbert Humbert that 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 if Tom Brady played him maybe we would be 90% of the way there and Hench can write the script for us that's it you seem to be the I mean, perfect listen, guy I right think now. that this would be a great time to pitch that story the executives <laughs> would hit the fainting couch can she be 23 <laughs> no, no, as a matter of fact, she can't even be 23. She can't be 35. Did, did you know there is uh, David Feeney, of course, from Daves of Thunder and Beyond, told me this, and I didn't believe it, like 10 years ago. Uh, and But th- there is a transcript of it at this point that you can track down. I forget who the producer is. That might be Lawrence Kasdan. Um, but Spielberg... And Lucas and I and the producer guy again. I think it's Kaz, but I could be wrong. And they're talking at the, in the very early goings of of building out Raiders of the Lost Ark and the hero, the anti-hero character, the guy, the hero with an edge, uh, coming off a of hand Solo, so so uh, perfectly cast was Harrison Ford. That they said, well, we got to run back Indiana Jones. Perfect sort of. Um, character for him to inhabit there and lucas and spielberg are going back and forth he's like he's got to be a bad boy and marion when he goes in to the uh to in the parlor where they are in the frozen mountains and playing the whiskey drinking game after hours and all that and marion says i was a child 
uh, you knew what you were, anyway, you knew what you were doing. And uh, I was in love and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Lucas tells Spielberg and the other guy, like, when they met, she was 12 years old. And they, when they had their affair, she was 12. And, and they're like, what, what do you mean? She was, well, she couldn't be when they were having a sexual relationship, George. And he's like, no, yeah, that, 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 is what we, that is what we want. She's 22 when we meet her. And that was a decade ago. So she's 12 years old. And, and they're like, that is not a movie that we can, that we can make for the mainstream. And Lucas no. continues to fight for it. It's one of the most insane. You read it on the page, you're like, what the hell? What the hell? But they wanted yeah, to, if yeah. you read, if you watch that scene in the bar, it, it's a, it's like, We're, uh, oh, no wonder she's so pissed off. <laughs> uh, you know, hero with an edge. He's got a little edge to him. Yeah, well, maybe not, you know, not quite so serrated, a little, little, little gentler. <laughs> um, no, when if you read um, Easy Rider's Raging Bulls, which is fucking incredible, uh, Spielberg comes across as sane as he does in the story you just told. But all those other guys become so wildly successful. Uh, Coppola, Lucas, William Friedkin, uh, Tom Brady. They, they oh, all God. just they all just float out into their own lawless international waters like you can tell that they're like yeah okay she's 12 you're like when was the last time you were on planet earth <laughs> fucking christ this and leads it, me into I, I i said this to chris long you've heard you guys have heard me say this now for a couple of months now or in fact for the last decade i think professional athletes i'm not making excuses for them but celebrities who have been celebrities for too long whether it's a guy who was a president or was making 40 million dollars for a decade playing a sport or whatever it is your brain becomes warped and you you whether you recognize it or not you reside on a different plane than normal human beings do and Deshaun Watson was poorly served. He resides in that space, which is what happens to people in that spot of celebrity, which is fewer and fewer people who disagree with you are in your circle. And it's not that you cut them off, but people tend to play to the, the guy at the top of the mountain um, and all of that. And Deshaun Watson, I feel like all the back and forth about Goodell and why did he hand it over to Sue Robinson just to reclaim it and everything else. This should be Deshaun. I think Deshaun Watson doesn't play in 2022 on some level because he said, I don't know what I did wrong. And that's because for all the whatever it is, 30 women or whatever, who said, I don't know what the hell he thinks he can get away with. There were at least twice that many, according to what you read, who apparently were OK with whatever happened. We don't hear the details of that, but the pattern, if you read his text messages and everything, Deshaun to the women, it's there. There is an air of of matter of fact sort of exchange about. It. It's like, well, yeah, he's he, he doesn't understand that the 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 tone that he takes and what he pitches to these women, like it all pivots on like, yeah, I'm the main man on the local pro football team, and so there is so the the require people who are like, oh, Deshaun didn't do anything wrong. It's like it would be if it was a normal human being. The only reason he he can behave in that manner is because some percentage of people are like, I oh my god, he's a, he's a celebrity here, and some people, well, you know, lose I mean, their sense, even, their right? their judgment it's, in it's, that situation. It, it, if he was a normal human being, and if 
this was any time prior to the last five years, right? Because this is how this is how those guys behaved for you know in perpetuity, right? You know, and so then so Deshaun is kind of like when he says, "I don't know what I did wrong," he's saying, "I'm just doing what all predators have done before me." And then someone's like, "Yeah, that's not cool." And and so, uh, but what but I, nobody. I, that, but my point is, nobody said that to him in his little circle. You see that that's where the failing is. Is that none of his pals go like, if they're offering you ten games or a suspension, Deshaun, take it, man. Don't w- w- don't push this. This is not good long term for you, for your bank account, whole, for your profile. The whole thing was structured to take the year off. Um, but right. you know funny, I mean, I, I I really hope Gruden, I hope we get all the emails, obviously. That'd be such that'd be such a fun weekend read. Just somebody highlighting all the NFL scumbags, email to email contact. But like we're gonna get to a point where the Beth Wilkinson and Sue Robinson emails say, um, yeah, I'm on it. Do you want us to find anything? Or what do you just give us give us what do you want? You want you want us to find nothing? Um, no written report. Oh, so this is one of those. And then poor Sue Robinson's like, oh, okay. I know what they wanted Beth Wilkinson to do. So I'll just kind of lean toward the Beth Wilkinson side. Oh no, no, that's wrong. You wanted me to do the other thing. Just write the answer in the fucking email. What, what it does have that vibe to it. Right. You, You know, it's like, okay, we don't want you to find anything on this fucking scumbag Dan Snyder for some reason, like fucking how much better would the league and commanders fans be if that guy just was put out the pasture. So then Beth Wilkins is like, I've got a whole report. No, 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 don't, don't publish it. Don't hand it to us. Is that on Microsoft word? You wrote this down. Uh, we just need an oral report. And then, and then Sue Robinson goes, okay, I see what they want. They want their golden boy under center week seven. And then they're like, no, 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 no. So yeah, you guys are going to have to be real clear because you want the fix in Gruden bad, Snyder okay, uh, Deshaun bad. Like it's so, and the weird thing about it is the NFL run by scumbags, owned by scumbags, just fucking terrible human beings, one story after another, it, it's so depressing when you realize who the masters of the universe are and then except for the part by far the best product in sports. So that gotcha. is like, that's the brutal part for fans. Cause like, you're like when, when you have like, you know, the fucking baseball union is undefeated. Like the baseball unions un- is unbelievable. And you're like, yeah, that sport is going away. It, there's a weird connection between how evil the people who run the NFL are and how good the product is for us. Like we're getting the fucking dopamine on Sunday. We're like, don't change a thing, which is just weird because you're like, uh, I guess scumbags make good product. I I think that's fluke, you know, that, 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 that we enjoy football more than we enjoy watching the other sports. Right. I don't, I don't think it's anything that the 32 owners did or Roger Goodell did or otherwise we love fantasy football. We love, we love betting on it. NFL films and the Sables made it, um, you know, look like but a movie say, with the music say- and all that stuff feeds it. And the once a week of it is, is you know. No, but like everything. So like the NFL owners, like obviously the owners in all sports just want to maximize profits. So the NFL owners 
go, we want to maximize profits this way, this way, and this way. And then we're like, Ooh, Thursday night football. I made it. You know, like it's like everything they do, you're, you know, you kind of, your first reaction is like, Hey man, 16 game season, that's plenty. And then you're like, Hey, another week of football, like another tier of playoffs. Like we love football so much that they, their greed cannot kill the golden goose. Then you try to watch a baseball game and you're like, yeah, this pitch clock is not going to save you. It's, it's, it's unbearable watching this lava lamp. So I don't know, like in a weird way, I'm like, I wish these were better human beings, but I don't think it's a fluke. I think the product is connected to how bad these guys are. Hmm. What? I mean, I get it at the player level. Sure, it's violence, but why foot? Why why the owners would uh, present as as? But you're you're exactly right. I mean, as a group of of human beings that you can categorize under one heading, NFL owner. I mean, imagine that. And by the way, Goodell taking the ball back from Sue Robinson. I don't know what. Maybe I'm just a conspiracy theorist, but by. I guess by taking it back, he can cast aside stuff that he deems irrelevant. But if the players union wanted to, can't they then say, hey, the Houston Texans enabled this behavior. You need to look into that ownership group and hammer the Houston Texans some more, too. And so potentially, I wonder if Goodell's opened a can of worms that, I mean, you know, the incompetence of d smith and and the players union is maybe what they're is what they're um depending upon um i hear I'm you sure it's also a, like i'm sure there's a roger goodell text to alex jones go get him bud go get him you, bud. you mentioned one to see uh, uh all the text messages i if i had to choose could i either see gruden's or could i see alex jones i don't know i you, uh, that's sophie's choice i'm gonna have to take a weekend to render a final verdict on that one because uh, uh, Alex Jones's texts are fucking Lolita at this point. It's it's too it's too stomach churning. I can't. I, I can't. I've already assigned Lolita to somebody else. So, so that, too late. That that's your guy. Your forty five year old man there. Um, well, anyway, speaking of scumbags. Speaking of scumbags. Okay, one last thing. I want to. I w- before we get out of here, we we didn't do it for a week, and we have to let Hench get another bite at his bitter apple. That is the live tour. How sad. Yes, yeah. I, don't I, don't know you, I don't know if you heard Greg Norman. Have you heard Greg Norman uh, was asked by his friend Tucker, like, why are American golf fans so offended by that? He said, I don't know. And I don't care. Well, that's honest. That's honest. Uh, he definitely doesn't care. But it, it is crazy. You know, golf and you're you're obviously much more of a golfer than I ever was. You know, I, I you know, for me. It, you know, being such a, a fucking poor hillbilly, golf was always very intimidating because I was like, am I allowed to stand here? What's the 90 degree rule? Um, did I, I don't even know what it means to walk through someone's line. Like, am I, you know, like I don't, I don't have the right clothes or equipment, but there were just so many rules. And the part of those rules is like those rules stem from a rectitude. Like there is a right way to do things. There's a right way to behave. You don't, of course, you would call a two-stroke penalty on yourself. You don't, you don't need a viewer to call in because there is such moral rectitude allegedly built into this sport. So it's, you know, it should be self-policing, right? But then what what we've seen. You know, the reality is like, oh, um, a lot of cheaters play that sport 
and the biggest scumbag in the world, their fearless leader who owns the golf course, cheats at everything. He cheats at golf. He cheats on his wives. He cheats on his taxes. And they're bowing down. They're bowing down and chanting, you know, derogatory chant about the sitting U.S. president while they fillet a fucking dictator terrorist. You're like, what is happening? What fucking uh, Robert Heinlein science fiction story are we in? Like these monsters are, are fucking gleefully cheering uh, the regime that that wishes death to the great Satan. Uh, and, and here is the great Satan. And I was thinking it's like, you know, golf used to pretend to have this this code of ethics, this purity. You know, Trump parks his fucking cart on the green. He picked, he goes six footer. I'll give it to myself. He kicks that's his driving ball through someone's line. With, he, that's he, way out of bounds. Yeah. He kicks his ball out of the rough. Like he's like, I'm done with that whole, like he's just such a fucking cheating scumbag. And it's like, so of course the live tour is just like this other scumbag goes, I got a shitload of money. And then all the Greg Norman scumbags go, we like money. We like money more than anything in the world. And we're, we're fucking willing to lay down with anybody. We're willing to forget 9-11 and Jamal Khashoggi to fucking lie down with this scumbag. By the way, we're already lying down with this fucking scumbag. This like, it's like, it's insane to me that like, I mean, at a golf course, you've got Tucker and fucking MTG leading a chant against the American president at a course celebrating the fucking Middle Eastern terrorist, like, I thought you could rely on Republicans to be Islamic phobic. Like what the fuck? USA. I like USA. Greg Norman. That's the, the, the recurring response that these guys have is great for the shark to do it. The great, the, the shark to say he just loves golf so much and he loves spreading the good word. Like, well, if you can make golf popular among affluent people, you're really going to have something, Greg Norman. Like, what? <laughs> spreading the tomb. Who are you spreading? What in, what in your brain do you expect us to believe, or do you just expect us to be so dumb that we'll just take your word for it? What is it that you think the Live Tour is doing that promotes golf on any level that that, that Tiger Woods and the Masters and the U.S. Open and the British Open don't? What what vacuum are you filling? It's so absurd on face to claim that. And Charles Barkley said uh, as bad as everybody else in in that mix saying, I'm, well, I'm angry that people even question me being willing to take that money. That's none of your business. Oh, we're allowed to moralize. We're allowed to get up on well, you, you should stuff. you should you should read the 9-11 family's letter out loud on the on the air. Charles, if you think it's neither here nor there, read the 9-11 family's letter out loud on the air um, and and maybe you'll you'll uh, get educated. Um what you know now, Thomas Friedman in the Lexus and the Olive Tree, I think, was making the point like, "Hey, no matter how shitty different countries are, if they start sharing commerce and you get a McDonald's and a Lexus dealership, they're less likely to go to war." You know, so that like this idea, and obviously that's the rationale for fight island and we'll go to the united arab emirates and we'll just sure. it's like and actually we because they want to be welcomed into the brotherhood of nations they'll actually nation improve. building this this is not that right this is the and, this and, is the other side the, and, the and opposite so of that. i i know that argument but it's like and and you know like the fucking you know we bombed uh and we're coming up uh in a couple days here on on the 
anniversaries of, of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, but we do business in Japan and, and, and there, and we, and we shake hands and, and they go, they're, they're cool, I guess, with our marketplace being open to, to their products. So there is something to be said for moving over the course of decades toward a democratic free market relationship with other nations that you, were former, that you were formerly adversarial with. Of course. He just killed Jamal Khashoggi. This isn't this isn't August 6th, 1945. This guy is an active fucking scumbag. What like I you know, it is and and then what what these what Greg Norman knows, what what um Mohammed Bonsalman knows, what Vladimir Putin knows is like people only have fucking so much energy. They only have so much attention, you know, and it's like eventually the Cleveland Browns know it. Eventually it's going to be like are we still pissed about this? I guess not. Hey, man, the Browns made the playoffs. You know, whatever. Like, eventually everyone moves on because it takes too much energy to not move on. So I appreciate you giving me the five minutes to remind our listeners what a bunch of fucking scumbags the, the live tour assholes are who, again, already rich. Already fucking rich. Like, that, here, that- here, here, that's right. And here's the disappointment, right? This has nothing to do with some diplomatic effort or anything else obviously this is uh this is uh 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 him trying to to clean his image for the world that's why that that how that benefits the saudi arabia at large i'm not clear on that that it's funny because it's goes back a little bit to the element in team sports is that there will always be one out of the 32 teams their fan bases will always ride up and yeah but that and it that, it becomes exhausting to your point like you only have so much energy and when somebody's like yeah but what about your guy and when you get into that reservoir dogs final thing of everybody pointing a gun at each other you lose the energy to keep doing it why so i get it it was like brown fans are like you go you're in no position to talk because if you're a ravens fan you had this guy and if you're a patriots guy you had that steal so you can do that I don't understand the people who are vouching for the live tour now like if you're just an average schnook like you're like hey but you're forgetting what are you what are you embracing about that it's so it's so odd soulless to support those guys I don't don't get exactly the argument it's like it's like Rogan you know vouching for Alex Jones like it's like there's a there's a certain kind of person who goes well, do people listen? Do people, you know, give their consumer dollars to the product? Well, then that's the only vindication you need. You know, it's like, um, that's right, right. Right. you know, so it's like, okay, well then, then the AR-15 industry is, uh, is, is fucking doing, doing great business. So it must be right because people buy it. So that must be In awesome. In some weird way, you're exactly right. And you bring us all the way back to where we started this episode, Vin Scully and Bill Russell, guys who did it are legends and, are cherished a little bit more because they did it with one team their whole way. And um, that there there's when, when you allow yourself, when you give in to your lesser angels without being too uh, making it uh, too cheesy um, as, as a fan and you give in to the idea of like, hey, bottom line's all that matters. And when the bottom line is for the golfer, otherwise how much money he makes, when you allow for that, what you get to that place by as a fan saying like, 
I don't care if he's a good guy or not, as long as he's a winner. I just, all I care about is winning. Then, like we talked about last week, then you're the Florida Marlins. Then you're just, what are you, a bunch of mercenaries? No. What you want is, you don't always get it in the age of free agency, but what you want is Bill Russell to be yours for all of time. I, 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 I connect him with you and Simmons and all our Boston uh, pals out there. I know that that was the same thing with Dodgers fans. I get the Vince Scully thing and what it all means, I'm not sure, except that I know that the live tour is not worthy of that sort of esteem. I, well, I, 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 I could see that. If you listen to Vince call of, of Aaron's 715th home run. Um, That's right. And I'm guessing, you know, I don't, I don't know the guy like, like a lot of people who know him and love him, but like, I'm guessing Vince Scully, not a huge lefty politically, but he knew in the moment that it was pretty cool that an African-American was getting a standing ovation in the deep South in front of a bunch of, of uh, middle-class white folk. And he, right. and, he, and he invoked it. And it's like, that is, you know, so this is not, this is not Timothy Leary. This is not Allen Ginsberg. It's not some fucking crazy lefty. This is, this is a guy with a moral compass. And then at the other end of the spectrum, as we finish this week of sports, is Greg Norman, a guy with no moral compass who doesn't care. He just said out loud, I don't care. I don't care what this fucking guy who's giving me money is done. I don't care. Ah, but he's the ultimate winner. Oh, wait. No, <laughs> he's not. All right. Hey, um, great stuff as always from Kevin Hench. You heard Eddie Spaghetti just a little bit here. You can hear a lot more of him and Jim Piacente talking all things fantasy. Waiver-wired premieres on Thursday if you're uh, still only a couple hours away, Eddie Spaghetti. So get in there. If you missed it this week, go back and listen to it. You can watch it live, but you can also consume it in uh, in typical audio podcast form. And then they'll be back next Thursday as well to get you right for all things fantasy as your draft are probably fast approaching. Ours is Hench. Ours are our auction draft. We have to listen to it. I can't get voted out. That's right. You can't. I can. Time for me to start getting nervous. All right, listen. Grand stuff, fellas. Uh, we appreciate you, the audience, tuning in. We'll be back after the sports weekend when we'll be that much closer to pro football. Real pro football. Not this jive Civil War reenactment crap, Hench. That is the preseason game. That It only looks real. I wait out for the real thing. It's like drinking, uh, what am I, going to drink O'Doul's? Not this close. Not when that beer's in the fridge getting cool. I'm just going to wait a couple more hours till it's nice and uh, nice and chilled down. Then I'll drink the real deal. Um, we'll be back after the first uh, preseason game and all the rest of it next week to break it all down for you. In the meantime, for Kevin Hedge, Eddie Spaghetti, everybody at the Extra Points Network, thanks so much, sports fans. It's been a thin slice of heaven.